Okay. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, verse 6 through 9. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Verse 17, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined his, this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Flipping over to Philippians chapter 4. Last chapter of Philippians, starting in verse 11, about halfway through the verse. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Then verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today as a group of folk... uh, facing a topic that's a little raw for some and uh, for others might seem uh, routine or even potentially boring. But Lord, we pray you would help us to see uh, the good things you have to tell us in your word. You would sharpen our minds, that you would soften our hearts, that you would teach us wisdom, that we would know how to make uh, the best use of this phase or any calling uh, that you've laid upon us. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in preparation for this message, I, uh, I went looking for some ironic, pithy quote, because I do ironic and pithy pretty well, and uh, about singleness, and shockingly, it was really hard to find. And uh, all the quotes about singleness tended to break down into two categories. Uh, one, largely on dating websites, uh, were quotes largely about love thyself, be patient. It was this romantic optimism of persevere, you must love yourself, and no one's ever going to love you. Uh, a little too cheesy for me. I'm sure there's some truths there that helps people, but uh, not what I was looking for. And, uh, and the other was the purely cynical, hardened um, view of singleness, and sort of characterized by this article I found called 10 Tips for Surviving Singleness. Surviving singleness sounds like it's a disease, or uh, some kind of experience like Survivor, where you get dropped in some Amazonian jungle and have to fight your way out. 
what is this condition of singleness um, that it's so hard? And uh, uh, as a reminder, some of you may be aware of this because you might be really struggling with this. For some folks, this is incredibly hard and sensitive and painful. Uh, But for some of you, especially given your ages, uh, it may not be. Um, When do you start describing yourself as being single? It's an interesting question. This is really relative to culture and expectations and experience. Uh, If you're a sorority girl growing up in Mississippi in a a sweet little bell that read, you know, where's your son dressed to Ole Miss football games every uh, Saturday, uh, you might be single at age 21. My wife was, an, was a, considered a spinster when she hit 21 and wasn't engaged. Uh, yes, I know, ladies, it's a little strange. Uh, for some of you, however, are looking at grad school and advanced degrees, and you might be thinking, maybe by my mid-30s, if I'm not married, I'll be single. So it's a relative thing, and some of you may be really not even thinking about singleness. How many of you think of yourselves as single? How many of you would apply that term to yourself? Yeah. You don't even know. That's right. I don't. Am I? I don't know. Should I be? Yeah. Fill out your taxes. What do you put? You probably put dependent. You know. <laughs> so that's okay. That's true. I understand. Well, um, by the time you do assume the title of single, uh, if you ever do, you might get married out of the blue. Um, it is quite possible that you will have all kinds of wrong-headed assumptions about what it entails. Uh, not because you're a bad person although you probably are, um, but because it's easy to pick them up from our culture. Um, we don't think very well about singleness. We don't know how to think wisely and biblically about it. And we risk uh, missing a wonderful opportunity, which is what singleness provides us with. So perhaps, uh, just maybe for a few of you, you were thinking, um, I can't wait to escape this sad state. And... Uh, be, com- be fulfilled and find my soulmate, uh, and you're wasting away a great opportunity. Some of you might be wasting away your opportunity in other ways. Uh, this period of singleness, whatever it is I am, is a, uh, it's a wonderful time of uh, being unaffiliated. I can do whatever I want to. And, uh, and you're tending more towards irresponsibility. And I think our text today will challenge both of you. So we're going to see that because God grants good things, God grants good things. The outlines are on the ends. Uh, we must embrace this great opportunity that singleness offers us. Okay? Tonight, it's a very simple outline. We're going to move quickly. Singleness is a good gift. And singleness is a great responsibility. Okay? Singleness is a good gift, and it's a great responsibility. And uh, it doesn't look like a good gift, even in our text early on. So, um, if you grew up in the church... And uh, by church, I mean that as broadly as possible, uh, whatever church you may have grown in. It's at least possible uh, that you got, a, you got just a sense of a deep-rooted suspicion that folks have of singles. Perhaps you're not old enough to really feel it yet. Um, but there comes a point in the life of a church, in the life of its young adults, where the question becomes, every time you come home, uh, have you met anyone yet? When are you going to get married? And um, some of you may be getting that now. You're probably getting it from your mom um, or your dad or some friends. Who knows? Uh, but, but the church doesn't know what to do with singles, and that's to its great fault and shame. But our culture is not necessarily any better. Our culture also uh, assumes uh, that you, if you're not at least getting married, you're at least finding someone significant. You're moving in. You're hanging out. You're hooking up. Um, 
and that uh, being single is not uh, the most desirable state. So uh, Paul is out to counter some of these notions, but the way he starts in verses 1 and 2 is a little bit strange. And if you read it, you're like, what? It doesn't seem to be very positive about singleness or marriage. Verse 1, now concerning the matters about which I wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What? And that not, actually says don't even touch a woman. The translation is that men aren't supposed to sleep with women. And um, if you look carefully, uh, that's in quotes. And that's because uh, commentators think, uh, translators think, this is what the Corinthians are thinking. That uh, the best thing is for us just to, to leave off. See, Corinth was a very sexual, promiscuous city. It was, it was insane. It, was, uh, it, it would rival anything we saw today in its pagan and uh, uh, adulterous, idolatrous ways. And um, the Christians in that community, the spiritual people, said, let's just be done with this sex thing altogether. How about we just cut it off, cut them off, cut each other off, and we'll be done with this. I won't even touch her or look at her. There'll be nothing. And uh, so Paul quotes this to address this topic that they've written to him about. And he says in verse 2, no, because of temptation, each man should have his own wife. Well, even that sort of negative. Is it only because of temptation that we should get married? I mean, isn't marriage a good thing? And he'll go on and argue it is indeed a good thing. But at first it doesn't seem like that. So I'm going to help you along. And uh, Paul's actually going to argue that both marriage and singleness are great. They're good gifts. And uh, we need to see them that way. So uh, we see that each is a good gift. And we see it in verses uh, 6 and 7. In verse 7, uh, Paul writes, I wish all were as I am myself. He's a single guy. Uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And he's talking about some of y'all folks are married and some of you are single. And he calls them both a gift. Both these things, marriage and singleness, are a gift. And gifts generally are good, Right? Usually. It's possible to get nice gifts. Um, But the assumption here is that these are both good gifts. And um, Paul desires that uh, some of these folks would prefer one gift over the other. Singleness. Um, But he's basically saying both of these things are very good. This is important. Because for lots of folks, whether they're in the church or out of the church, uh, singleness is seen or often viewed as the JV version of relational maturity. You can't quite cut the real thing, so you'll just have to make it along until either you grow up or become more attractive to other people or someone takes pity on you. Being a little harsh there, I'm sorry, but um, that's the way some people sort of view it. Um, And Paul is saying that's not true at all. Uh, this is not a training ground for marriage. This is not some place for, or phase or age or stage for the, the relationally or spiritually immature. Instead, it's a gift. It's a gift that God gives to some people, both singleness and marriage. Um, now, some of you might be thinking, I don't, I don't think that way about singleness at all. I've never really thought of it as some inferior state. That's because you're 21. What if you're 39? What if you're 47 and you're just waiting? What if all your, I mean, what if you get married in the next four years to the perfect person, but your friend that you love a lot just keeps waiting and waiting and waiting? The temptation is to say there's there's something wrong with you. And Paul's saying not necessarily. Both these things are good gifts. Well. Um, both marriage and singleness are a good gift because the text says so. But they're also good gifts because it's God that gives them. 
God gives these gifts, and God is good. And in verse 17, we read, uh, Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called them. It's not just that marriage and singleness are good things. It's that God himself gives them to you. It's a good God that gives you these gifts. It doesn't arrive by chance. You don't win or lose some lottery. Instead, the God of the universe that knows you well, that sent his son to die for you, to redeem you, to bring you into a relationship with him and others, who's watching out for you. Another book Paul writes says, God is working all things to your good. That God determines that this is good for you and gives you this gift. So in this case, marriage or singleness is good because the God that gives it to you is good. He desires the best for you. It's really easy for us at times to grow uh, discontent. Uh, Again, perhaps you're not discontent currently. You don't expect to be with someone. Perhaps you just expect to meet someone nice to hang out with on the weekends. It wouldn't be it wouldn't wouldn't be bad to have someone, but okay, maybe you are really discontent. And you just won't admit it. Um, for right now, what verse seventeen is saying, whatever state you're in, that's God's will. Whatever state you're in, that's God's will. Um, that's what He wants for you, and it's good. And uh, trolling around looking for information about this topic in preparation for the message, I, I came across one article in Psychology Today. Um, written by a lady in her late 40s who's single, who's not bitter, and uh, maybe not too much. And uh, she, she sort of gathered what she called uh, 10 common myths regarding singleness. And I'm not going to read all the myths. They're all very funny and insightful and pretty much true uh, at, regarding how people think about single folks. I'll just read a few of them and see if uh, these hit you anywhere. Uh, single people, in, in general, are interested in one thing only, getting coupled. Uh, a dark aura surrounds single people. Again, y'all are... This is a little weird, I know. You're surrounded by 27,000 single folks. Um, it's hard for you to imagine being someone else. Again, imagine you're much older. Or uh, completely unaffiliated. Okay, No boyfriend, no girlfriend, never had one. Don't know the opposite sex exists. Uh, if you're single, you're a miserable, lonely, tragic person. If you get married, you'll be healthier and you'll live longer. Myth number four. If single... Everything is always about you. You are a grown child. Myth number five, uh, all the scary stories that are told about single women, you know, that you're going to slave away over your career, and while you're doing that, your ovaries are going to dry up and die, and your biological clique is going to go off, and that's going to be it for you. And then you're going to be 40, and you're really going to want to have children, and you can't have them in your life. It's going to be miserable. Um, If that sounds bad, there's a myth about men, too. Bible's falling apart. Just lost all of Galilee. Um, Men, if you're single, you are surely horny, sloppy, and irresponsible. Uh, Skipping a few, uh, there's the pity myth. If you're single, you are incomplete. You're not really a full person. And frankly, we actually mostly embrace this myth. You hear it all the time. Sappy, romantic. You complete me. You fill me. No, they don't. You're not half a person. You were never half a person. You're a whole messed up person. You're a whole messed up person. And no one's going to fill you or complete you. And actually, no one's going to fix you either. Um, no person will do that. God can do that. God does do that. But no, no individual. And uh, my favorite, um, I actually remember this as a child, uh, like 12 years old. This is how you know I'm really messed up deep down. Uh, for scaring people, scaring single people, if you're single, you're going to grow old alone, and you'll die in a room all by yourself, 
and no one will discover your body for weeks. No one's going to miss you. So we, we employ lots of these as a culture, even as a church. We employ lots of these myths to scare people, to motivate people. That's how we think about folks. Do you think any of these things? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, do you think your singleness is a sign that no one loves you? Again, maybe you're giving yourself the benefit of the doubt. I'm young, but, you know, I've been in this game for four or five years now. and The market's open. No one's looking at this one. Um, do you take your singleness uh, as a sign that maybe God himself doesn't love you? That somehow you're being punished? Or that somehow you haven't earned God's favor enough to, to give you that special someone? If that's the way you're thinking, you're thinking upstream to what Paul just said. Your singleness is a gift. God gave it to you because he loves you and he cares for you. And uh, the hard lesson for us to learn is to learn how to be content in the situation we call this. Paul said if you're in a situation, whether you're married or single, remain there. That's what you're supposed to do. There are some exceptions. Um, we'll talk about that some other time. And we read Philippians 4 because it's the great passage on contentment. And uh, I'll just read a little bit of it again. Verse 11 in chapter 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whether I'm in abundance or I'm in need. Whether I'm single or married. And then in verse 13 he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now I know y'all want this verse to mean something besides what it really means. I don't know how many times I've heard this thing misused. Guys in the weight room. Getting loose. Never done this before or anything like it. 380 pounds. Never done more than 25, but I can do all things. Uh... Girl, you were out till 2, you're having a pajama party watching a movie, you have an O-Chem test at 8 o'clock, you have not studied, and you're desperately praying this the next day. Can God give you some miraculous gift and strength? Yes. Will he? Almost assuredly not. (laughs) It's not what this verse means. The context is contentment, okay? Paul is saying, in whatever situation I am in, whether it's dire need or great abundance, God will provide me with just what I need, just the strength I need to persevere and be content in this situation. And he concludes in verse 19, God will supply every need according to his riches and glory. God is abundantly rich. He cares for me. He will meet all my needs. I can rest content. Do you think God will supply all your needs? That he's actually for you. Not all your wants. We're really messed up in this area, living in our consumer culture. Do you really think God will supply all your needs? Do you think God will really provide you with the emotional, mental, psychological, spiritual strength to be content in hard situations? So when I'm saying be content, Paul's saying wherever you are in your current situation, be content there. I'm not saying don't date. I'm not saying don't look. I am saying stop complaining. Stop assuming God doesn't love you. Stop assuming you're unlovable. Stop assuming you're doing something wrong. Uh, You're single now because God's good. And he's given you a good gift. But all good gifts require um, us receiving them and us using them responsibly. And uh, we have to take advantage of this gift God's given us. So we're going to see here, lastly, that singleness is a great responsibility. And I, I love Scripture for lots of reasons. Uh, one's because I think I'm pretty realistic about things, and I think Scripture is wonderfully realistic. It's not cynical, and it's not naive. There's this continuum we introduced at the beginning of the semester where you can be either romantic, and I don't mean 
lovingly romantic, smooch, smooch, like you should be, but uh, overly romantic, you have an idealized version of reality, or hardly cynical, where nothing is good. Uh, Scripture doesn't allow you to fall into either trap. And the same is true here. Paul's view on marriage and singleness is neither naively romantic nor hard and cynical. He He basically says both are really good. Both are really hard. And uh, we sort of get a, a glimpse of this in, in the later verses of 1 Corinthians 7. In uh, verse 33, he says, I want the, the unmarried man to be, uh, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 33, that was 32. 33, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Um, if y'all don't understand that this is hard, you need to come to my house. Spend some time with my family. Love you. Want you in my house. We'd love to have you. It's a great deal of fun. Whenever you're there, my interests are divided. You're my third priority. I love that you're there. I planned my week around you being there. But my interests are divided. I only got so much to give. Committed to my wife. I'm committed to my my children. I'm committed to my God. And it sounds terrible. This is a wonderful way to promote your ministry. Y'all are third or fourth. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the best I can do. When I'm with you, I give you everything I got. But it's hard. Uh, and that's the reality. Uh, but the other side of this is that um, Paul is saying singleness requires the same kind of diligence and devotion and commitment. It's not supposed to be a walk in the park. We think of singleness as extended childhood where we can do whatever we want. Uh, we have movies that celebrate this, especially for guys. Uh, so, again, I'm not going to beat you up too much next week. But it probably will hurt a little bit. Um, so what we're going to see here is uh, singleness requires great responsibility in three areas. And the first is wildly unpopular. Uh, singleness requires chastity. I could not have picked a more unpopular word. That's probably why I picked it. Um, both the word and the concept uh, drip, uh, smell of draconian, uh, ascetic, Platonic. I don't mean platonic friends. I mean of this Greco view of a separation between the body and the soul. Where everything about the body is bad. Um, it's, it's just not a popular term. Uh, a couple of qualifiers here. When I use the word chastity, and I'm going to use it quite a bit in the weeks ahead as we talk about dating, and sex, and marriage. Uh, I'm not talking about celibacy. Not talking about celibacy. Unless, like Paul, you're called to a life of, life of singleness. I'm not talking about asceticism. I'm not saying sex is bad and the pleasures are bad. In fact, uh, Paul is strongly anti-ascetic. This idea that you have to starve your flesh, that all your desires are bad. By conquering them and denying them, you become more holy. Uh, Paul hates that thought. If you want to know more about that, go to the Colossians small group. Uh, he writes a whole book about it. Even here in this text, we didn't read the text, uh, these verses, they'll make the strong argument. In marriage, you're not allowed to be this way. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to be an ascetic. You're supposed to give yourself fully. And so the biblical view, and Paul's view, is sex is great. Sex is wonderful. It's good. It's so good and so powerful, it's meant only for marriage. And Scripture is consistent about this over and over. And again, I'm not going to go into this too much this week, because we're going to talk about it a lot more in the weeks ahead. Um, but it's here in the text, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, you know, if you're single, you should get yourself a wife. And women, you should get yourself a husband. It's pretty equal there, by the way. You see how Paul is not being, like, chauvinistic? 
Man, go get yourself a wife. Okay, boom. Uh, no, uh, it actually says, women, you too. You're sexual beings and you've got volition and emotions and desires. You go get yourself a man. Um, one of the reasons this teaching about chastity is so unpopular, and there's a bunch of them, again, we'll talk about it, is because sex is so good. It's so good. It's being denied us. It's this wonderful pleasure. It's being denied us. And I want you to just see one thing, that Paul is all on board. Yeah, he's, he's a single man, but he knows. He even speaks like he knows. Um, because of the temptation of sexual immorality, he knows it's a possibility. In verse 9, he, uh, the language he uses, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. It's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. This burning, longing, desiring lust. I don't mean lust here in the, in the worst possible case of that word. I mean this hunger uh, for sexual intimacy. And then again in verse uh, 36, um, he uses similar language. Um, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be. What has to be? I just, my emotions, it, we, we got to do it. Okay, Paul says, go get married. Go get married. Um, so Paul recognizes this is powerful and good and hard. Uh, a simple question for you. Are you making this harder on yourself? It's already hard, okay? You were made for sexual intimacy with a future spouse. It's good. Uh, your body was made to long for this and to desire this and to desire the intimacy that it creates. But are you making it harder on yourself than it already is? And there's lots of easy ways to do this. Um, are you watching porn? You are throwing, you're just throwing wood onto the fire. Recent studies have concluded that the effects of porn on your brain has something like 50 times the effect of dopamine of some common narcotics. It does not leave your system for like a month. It just keeps firing you up, stoking the fires. Uh, couples that are dating, are you acting like you're married? It's really easy to do, and we'll talk about this, you know. We're dating, but we're not engaged. We're not that serious, but sure, spend a lot of time together. And uh, it's really hard to keep your hands to yourself. And I'm not beating you up. I've dated. I've been engaged. I have sex. I can say that proudly. <laughs> Even if you are, you can't say it proudly. <laughs> um, it's hard. Um, I know the temptation, but if you're acting like you're married when you're not, you are fanning these flames and passions to your own detriment. Okay? So uh, singleness is a great responsibility that requires chastity. It requires commitment. In verse 32, verse 33, it's pretty clear here that no one gets a free pass. If you're a Christian, big qualifier. If you're just someone coming to explore all this stuff, this is a weird, weird meeting perhaps for you to walk into, and, but it's okay. Uh, if you're a Christian... You don't get four years of college or this period of singleness off. You don't get a hall pass that says, uh, go be a free young adolescent, whatever you are. And uh, whenever you get married, grow up. Sorry. Uh, the assumption here is if you're single, you're going to be devoted to the Lord. If you're married, you're going to be devoted to the Lord, but you also are devoted to your family. And you're committed. And it's, it's hard. I'm not saying about it's hard, it's not good. It's great. But it's hard. It's not supposed to be easy. Um, 
And we also see, as we look in the text, and I'm, I'm stretching things here a bit, but I think uh, not only this text, but other texts pulled out. Your devotion to the Lord, we see in verses 32 and 33 and so on, that commitment to the Lord uh, naturally requires a commitment to other people, to community. Uh, singleness requires community. We're all obligated, if we're Christians, to be committed to folks. As a dad, as a husband, I'm committed to my wife. And Paul says it's okay that you're distracted by your wife. You're devoted to the Lord, and you're distracted by your wife. Not distracted is not a good word. Sorry, love. I didn't mean that. Um, but I have to love her, and it requires an intentionality unlike anything a single person would have. Um, when you're single, you have no good reason not to pursue a, a more wholehearted uh, devotion to the Lord. And if you're an, someone here that's in process, you're confused, you're a cynic, you're a skeptic, you know you're not a believer, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to figure out if this stuff is true or not. You don't want to figure it out when you're 32 and you're trying to figure out how to raise your kids. It's better then than never. But take the opportunity now to, to make a serious inquiry and to pursue uh, truth here. Uh, so I think uh, when Paul speaks here in verses 32 and 33 about our call to please the Lord if we're single. Uh, scripture bears this out over and over. How do we please the Lord? We love God. We love people. It doesn't say it here. We've talked about this all semester. Um, it's, our, it's our confession. You want to please the Lord? You love God. You love people. You, you don't love God in a closet by yourself. It's not this pietistic, individualistic thing where I go love the Lord and pray and get all emotional and then go do whatever I want. No, it requires a commitment to others. And you're in the most wonderful context, perhaps, ever for building relationships. This is great. What, what do you do except for go to the bathroom that you can't do with others? Ladies, you're excused from that. You can actually go with others. Um, you go to class with other people. You can work out with other people. You can study with other people. You can go to games with other people. You can join 300 different groups about any interest in the world. This is the ideal place for committing, building relationships. So pursue them. You want to know more about that? Listen to last week's lesson. Um, I think the assumption is, you know, I'm young, I'm single, I don't have to get too serious about this relationship thing. And I'm going to sort of say, regarding finding the future Mr. and Mrs. Wright, yeah, you can, it's okay to cool that a little bit. You should, you should uh, not you. Actually, Jared wouldn't mind at all if you go looking for Mr. Wright. Um, but... He just turned his red as his shirt. Um, <laughs> um, but take this wonderful opportunity to pursue relationships with other folks. Um, there's a wonderful article I'm going to show you in a moment at, during the announcement time from a, a woman that worked for RUF. It's a great article. But in that article, she writes regarding single folks it's a cosmic impossibility for God to require less of me and my relationships than he does of the mother of four whose office is next door obedience knows no ages or stages so a mom is fully committed to her children and her argument is and I think this is the argument of Paul you're to be just as devoted to the Lord and to building relationships with other people uh, your, your youth your singleness is no excuse um opportunity to grow and build wonderful relationships. So singleness is a great gift. It's a better gift than you realize. It comes from a God that's better, that's uh, more good and more loving and more well-intentioned toward you than you realize or believe. And singleness also is a great responsibility, uh, a greater responsibility, a harder responsibility than a lot of us are willing to, uh, to make. 
Uh, it's a great song. I'm not going to cry during this one. Go ahead and warn you. Uh, if you came here expecting me to cry, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Um, this song is uh, called One is the Loneliest Number. Anybody familiar with it? It's a great song. Three Dog Night, uh, I think the Beatles, and most recently, to my knowledge, Amy Mann recorded it in 1999. It's a great version uh, for the film Magnolia. And uh, I'll just read a verse or two. Uh, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. I think that's very realistic. I'm waiting for Mr. Wright. I'll find that person that will complete me. Experience says, actually, two can be just as bad as one. Uh, two can be just as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. No is the saddest experience you'll ever know. Yes is the saddest experience you'll ever know. She's saying, uh, whether you get rejected or accepted, in the end, they can both be sad. Uh, you don't know what you're waiting for. They're both hard. Because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever know. One is the loneliest number, even worse than two. Yeah, it's just no good anymore since you went away. Now I spend my time just making up rhymes of yesterday. Uh, you know, maybe some of you broke up with someone recently and you're dying inside. Maybe it was one of you were pining desperately over this person. Uh, maybe in this room. I should start watching for this more carefully. Um, and, and you're aching and longing, or, or maybe you're just waiting desperately for that future person. Maybe you're that soft-hearted romantic from the age of 12 that's waiting for the right person. Um, actually, I was sort of like that, believe it or not, and all my cynicism and hardness. So I understand what that's like. This song commiserates with our pain. It's hard. It's, it can be lonely. Uh, and yet, it's sort of wrong. There's some things about it that aren't right. Uh, you don't have to be lonely. You have a God that's given you a good gift in your singleness. And in your marriage, if you're married. Um, it's a good gift. You're not being punished. It doesn't have to be miserable. Uh, you're not by yourself. You have a good God that loves you well, uh, that has given you exactly what you need at this time in your life. It's a wonderful opportunity. It comes with great responsibilities to pursue God and to love other people well. Okay? Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you. Uh